So you have in your bulletin the uh, fill-in-the-blank thing, and uh, I'm not going to finish it. And uh, so this Tuesday, I'll mail it all out. You'll get the thing all filled in with the things I haven't finished. And so some of you occasionally uh, would rather just sit and listen. And so this is your opportunity to do that because you're going to get it uh, Tuesday all filled in. But if you want to fill it in, that's cool too. So we'll get about halfway through it. And uh, 1948, I was born. I'm 73 now. 1960, my dad retired from the Navy. He was in 22 years, went through the Second World War. Four ships sunk under him, aircraft carriers. And so 1960, I was 12. We moved to the farm. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I was created for farm life. In 1967, I graduated from high school. And uh, I had to go to college. I didn't want to, but the Vietnam War was in full swing. And they had what was called a 2S deferment. That is, if you went to college, you didn't get drafted. And so I went to college so I wouldn't get drafted. Also, I wanted to get married because every successful dairy farmer had a good wife. And uh, so I wanted a wife. There were 12 girls in my high school. It wasn't a big high school. And I dated them all twice. I didn't want to marry any of them. And so my pastor said, if you want to find a good wife, go to a Christian college. So I went to a Christian liberal arts school in Portland called Cascade. It closed. Uh, it's closed now, but it was a good place uh, to find a Christian wife. In 1969, I got married to Patty. We discovered each other at uh, Cascade College. And also, Nixon came out with a lottery. And that's where they put everybody's birthday on a ping-pong ball, put it in one of these lottery baskets, and they pulled the, the things out. And if you were the first hundred, you were going to Vietnam. There was no deferments. And the middle hundred, 50-50, last hundred, you were home free. I was 364. And so I quit school the next day and moved back to the farm and uh, started farming with my dad again in 1969. Uh, 1973, I decided I wanted to go back to school, finish my schooling. I had two years to go. The church that we were part of was had a pastor, then wouldn't, had a pastor, then didn't. They were always... And so I wanted to be able to help out more than I was. And so I thought if I went back to school, got two years more Bible training, I would be more useful to my church. So I worked out a deal with my dad, and we went, uh, came, moved to Jefferson in 1973. There was a farm here that we moved on, and in 73, Jefferson Baptist Church started. Patty and I helped start the church. I was the, we were the youth group leaders. We taught Sunday school. We set up chairs. We swept the, cleaned the bathroom. I did a little fill-in preaching, and then in 1975, I graduated. It was a good year. I graduated from college. My wife got pregnant. Uh, the doctor told us we couldn't have kids, that it was biologically impossible. We ended up with eight, all of them miracles. Sarah was born in 1975. We went back to the farm. My dad made me a full partner in the dairy. That meant I got paid. Uh, it wasn't just a son working for free. And I had some, uh, I could make some choices on the dairy as well. My home church made me, uh, gave me a uh, Position. They declared me to be Minister of Youth and Evangelism, cleaned out a broom closet from my office, put my name over the door, and paid me a dollar a month to make it official. So, 75 was a good year. The founding pastor retired, resigned, and went back to school, Jefferson Baptist, and in 76, one thing uh, after another kind of guided, and I ended up coming back, Patty and I, as the pastor, JBC, in 1976, October, and uh, my goal was to fail miserably in the first year and go back to the farm. First four years were great. 
what they call the honeymoon years. We bought the property, built the first chapel uh, on cash. Church grew to be 200 people. And then in 1980, uh, we had a lot of things started happening. Uh, I started doing a bunch of dumb stuff. I'd been doing it all along, but it just sort of hit the fan in 1980. A lot of people left the church, got mad at me. The next seven years were awful, terrible years, 80 to 87. And then in 1987, November, I went to a seminar up in Portland, a workshop. And as a result of the workshop, I bought two boxes of Bibles. They were called one-year Bibles. That is, January 1 was on the first page, and then the part that you read, January 2, all the way to December 31st. And when you finished, you read the whole Bible through in a year. It was called a one-year Bible. I bought a 100 of them. And, uh, and then starting on the first Sunday in 1988, I started preaching on the blessings of reading the Bible. I preached 25 weeks in a row, 25 blessings, gave the Bibles out to 100 people in the church and said, the goal for 1988 is that 88 people would read it all the way through this next year. 88 and 88 was sort of the cry and the motto of our church as I preached through Bible reading. Every month, the first Sunday of each month, we would hand out blank three-by-five cards, and you wrote on the card, yes or no? Yes, I'm current. No, I'm not. And the night before, I would tape uh, helium balloons to the back of each of the chairs in the old sanctuary with long stems on them. Every card that said a yes, we clipped a balloon off so it floated to the ceiling. And if there were 88 that floated to the ceiling, we had cake and ice cream after the service. And so I would say, if you're not current and we don't have 88, you're going to deprive the entire church family from having cake and ice cream after the service. And I'm going to have to take it home and eat it all myself. And so we finished the year in 1988 with 89 people reading the Bible all the way through. And so that was a, that was the, beginning of a turnaround for our church. February of 89, I went to Cannon Beach, which was the very first prayer summit. There were 63 pastors who were there for four days doing nothing but praying. And uh, I got terribly convicted while I was there about my personal prayer life and the prayer life of our church. And while I was there, I made seven significant goals. One of them was to pray for everybody in our church by name every week. Another was to pray with my wife three times every week. Another one was I was going to preach on prayer uh, for at least half the year when I got back. And one of the sermons I was going to preach on was recruiting at least a 100 people committing to pray for me at least once a month. And so the Sunday I preached that sermon, I put a little A-frame little board. You know how it is? goes up and down. And it was a piece of paper on it. And I took and wrote 1 through 30 on the, uh, 31 on the left-hand side with lines across, representing each day of the month. And there were uh, dividers, so there were three blanks, three boxes behind each day, each number. One, blank one, two, and three, two, blank one, two, and three. And so I preached a sermon on how important it is for you to pray for me, the pastor. And if you would agree to do that once a month, Whatever day your birthday was on, if it's on the 27th, go down to the 27th, sign your name. And then if everybody filled in all those, I would have 100 people, actually 99. But I figured there would be an extra one signed in somewhere. And so that Sunday, I think we got 101 people signed that that little placard that uh, they committed to pray for me 15 minutes once a month. Said, you can do more, 
but make that commitment to do once a month. So I had the hundred that committed to that. Then I bought, a, I bought 50 books written by um, um, Pete, Peter, his name will come to me in a minute. And the title of the book was The Power of Praying for Your Pastor. About 50 of them, Peter Wagner. And I gave out all of them to people in the church, said, read this in a month if you would, give it back to me. I got 30 back, that's the way it is when you loan books out. And uh, gave those out and said, read this in a month, give it back to me. I got 20 back. I gave those out. I got 10 back. I gave those back. I got five back. I gave those back. Got one back. I gave it to my mother. And she said, after she read it, I'll pray for you every single day. And she did. And uh, so that was a really good year. 88, 89. The motto for 89 was much prayer, much blessing. No, uh, little prayer, little blessing. No prayer, no blessing. And we moved rapidly to becoming a church devoted to prayer. My life totally changed in regards to my prayer life and the discipline of praying. 88, we became a Bible reading church. 89, we became the church that prays. And uh, we've never looked back. Really, we've never, ever had a stretch in our church like we did 80 to 87. Because God has blessed powerfully in our church because of those two basic disciplines uh, that have that have happened so in 2012 I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and so I was pretty sure that uh, my ministry was over my major mentor was Joe Aldridge president of Multnomah Bible College I went and had lunch with him at least once a month and he gave me counsel on how to be a good pastor he was a mentor and he got Parkinson's and died and uh, so I was pretty sure that my ministry was over. So I bought a motorcycle, 1100 Yamaha V-Star, and I went on a motorcycle trip that took 33 days. I hit all lower 48 states, had everything on the back of the bike I needed to camp every night in a campsite. And I'd never ridden a motorcycle before in my life. Somebody said, when did you learn to ride? First five days, I figured I was pretty much of an expert. Uh, and so my goal was just to figure out what I was going to do and how things were going to go from there. I read everything there was to read on Parkinson's, discovered that if you exercise diligently, you could keep it at bay. And so I came home, bought an exercise bike and, and, and ride and have ridden, uh, very seldom do I miss a day, riding at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half a day on my bike. Plus I take off and do one month, two month bicycle trips in the summer. And here I am. A little bit of an irritation and annoying, but it hasn't slowed me down a whole lot uh, riding the bike. 2016, every year I said I go on a uh, bicycle trip. And 2016, we went on a trip from San Diego to um, St. Augustine, Florida, across the southern part of the U.S. And on that trip, two significant things happened. One of them was I had a very, very close call where I was just about uh, run over by a truck. And, uh, I mean, it was like, whew, one of those ones that makes your heart beat. And I had to stop and pull off the edge of the road because I was shaking all over as a result of the near-death experience that I just had on my bicycle. And then the second one was I read the, the uh, uh, website called Christian News. And I was reading about a church in Oklahoma that was a church of, I think, 6,000, 4,000 to 6,000 people. And the fellow who started the church retired, and his associate took over. 
And he lasted six months before he quit because of all the criticism uh, that he was getting from the church. And the next guy lasted two years, and the church closed its doors because they went from 6,000 to 200, and they couldn't pay their bills. So I read that, and I thought, if I had gotten killed, uh, I'm not sure what would happen with the church and Pastor Mike. When I left on my motorcycle trip, I wrote a letter. And in the letter, it starts out by saying, if you're reading this, I'm dead. And I would like for you to uh, follow Mike as the senior pastor of this church like you followed me over these years. The elders all signed it. I left it with Lloyd, our senior elder, to be mailed out to everybody in the church had I had an accident riding my motorcycle. I got back, he gave me the letter back, and every time I leave on a bicycle trip, I give it back to him. And uh, so I got to thinking on this trip from San Diego to St. Augustine, after reading about the church that went down, 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 I thought, I don't want that to happen to this church, and I don't want it to happen to Mike, what happened to that church so I got back, and we had a visit, and I said, Mike, uh, what do you think about preaching on the weekend services? And he says, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. So he started preaching weekend services in 2016. Been doing that since. And uh, he's gotten better and better and better. I pray for him that God will make him twice the preacher that I am. Pastor, uh, or excuse me, Dr. David Irvin, he says... You probably should quit praying that because he's already twice as good as you are. You start start praying that he's ten times as good as you are. So anyway, whatever. Um, so I'm going to preach a sermon to you this morning. It was the one I preached way back in 1989. And every year after that, the Sunday after my birthday, I would say, most of you did not get me a present for my birthday. Shame on you. But, good news, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to get me a great present. I would preach this sermon on the, on the importance of praying for your pastor. Then at the end of the service, I'd say, would you make a commitment? You can make a commitment to pray once a year, once a month, once a week, once a day, a minute a day, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just make a commitment to faithfully pray for me. And the sermon was on seven things to pray for, all starting with Pete. I'm only going to get one this morning. And so every year, after the weekend after my birthday, I probably preached that sermon 30 times. And some of you say, yeah, I remember. I got kind of bored hearing it year after year. Most of you can't remember a year past, so you thought it was new. But I haven't preached it for a number of years now because I haven't been preaching much. But I'm going to preach it this morning on behalf of Mike uh, for his sake. And uh, then we'll have a great application. So in your notes, number one, pray for Pastor Mike's preaching. Pray for his preaching. It makes a huge difference. I was speaking at a church doing a seminar on marriage up in Seattle. It was a church of about 500, 600 people. And it was a two and a half day seminar workshop. And about halfway through, one of the elders came up to me and said, Pastor D, we've had an elders meeting and we'd like to call you to be our pastor. I said, well, thank you, I, but I'm happy where I'm at. I said, but you have a pastor. They said, yeah, that was the other part of the meeting. We decided to fire him. I said, why? 
Well, because he's a lousy preacher. And uh, certain things just sort of push my button occasionally and make me a little bit irritated. And the nice thing about there, I could kind of be rude and leave, I guess. I said, you know what would happen if I came and was your pastor? He says, what's that? I said, I would become a worse preacher than the one you've got. You know, where I'm at, people pray for me. They pray that God will give me uh, power, that he'll anoint me, that he'll speak through me, that he'll work supernaturally. i got hundreds of people that pray that for me every week. If I came to this church, nobody would pray that. I said, you know what you need to do. You need to make a commitment and you need to start getting people in your church to pray for the guy you've got. He would become such a good preacher, you'd have to increase his pay to keep him. Uh, I don't think he was particularly convinced. Uh, and I don't know whatever happened there. Number two, and you know, it's preaching and teaching are God's primary method of spreading his word and the gospel. So I will say periodically, God doesn't bless methods, he blesses unity, but there are a few methods that God blesses because they're his method. And there's no option, there's no, uh, no debate. He uses that method, that's the only method he does use, and one of those is preaching, that's God's method. He ordained it. Uh, he's the one who said, this is how I work. Matthew 3, 1, now in those days John the Baptist came preaching. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 11, 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Mark 1, 38, he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. That is what I came for. Mark 3, 14, he appointed 12 that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 8.40, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities. 1 Corinthians 1.21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The world's wisdom didn't work very well. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. That is the opinion of the world that preaching is foolishness. The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That was God's method, his tool. Number three, preaching and teaching the word of God. The word is God's primary method to grow us to be like Jesus. A lot of talk in the church world about discipleship. Uh, that's the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And so the discussion amongst pastors and in denominational headquarters and places is, so what's the best method uh, to make disciples? Somebody becomes a believer in Jesus. Now what he, we want to teach them the basic stuff in the Word of God so they grow and become a follower of Jesus. What should we do it in Sunday schools? Should we do it in home groups? Should we do it one-on-one? -on -one? What's the best way to do it? Do you know the Bible says the best way to do it is through the preaching that happens in the church, everything else is secondary to that method. Lots of other things should happen. Leadership class, Sunday school class, discipleship class, one-on-one, -on -one, home groups, lots of things. But everything uh, is secondary to the preaching that happens in the pulpit of a church each week. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, this is Paul speaking, in my flesh, I do my share 
Boy, that'd be a great statement that every one of us could make. In this physical body I'm living in, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. I do my part in filling up what is lacking. People like to point out all the faults is in a church. Churches have problems. So Paul said, I do my share in filling up or fixing that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ, complete in Christ, grown up like Jesus, mature. We admonish every man, we teach every man with all patience so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Paul was mentoring Timothy, training him to be a pastor, and he says, 1 Timothy 4.16, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Work hard at it, for as you do this, you will ensure, you will guarantee salvation. That word salvation doesn't mean uh, salvation from hell. It's talking about salvation from the power of sin, sanctification. It will guarantee salvation, sanctification, both to yourself, that is to Timothy, and to those who hear you. That's amazing. Timothy, work hard at your preaching. When you do, when you preach, it guarantees that those who listen will grow, and you yourself will as well. You will be sanctified, saved from the power of sin as you faithfully preach the word of God week in and week out. Number four, preaching and teaching the Bible is a supernatural event. That is, God works in the preacher, through the preacher. God works in the audience, the listener, in their heart, in their mind, in their soul. And because he works in both the person who speaks and teaches and the person who hears, it's a supernatural event. And the more God works, the more powerfully he works, the more growth happens and, and, and takes place in the life of those that are listening. Hebrews 4, therefore let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest, of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us. We have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Preacher preached, didn't do any good. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, this is what happened. That's chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter and those who formerly had good news preached to them, Fail to enter because of disobedience. The preacher preached the good news. Those who heard fail to enter because of disobedience to what they heard. And then verse 11 and 12 of that chapter. Therefore let us be diligent to enter the rest for, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living. Now he's talking here about the preached word. That's the context of this chapter. The preached word. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
That's the potential that a pastor, a preacher of the word has when he works hard, studies, and he preaches and teaches the word. It's living, it's active, it's sharp as a two-edged sword, changing the hearts and lives of those who hear. Let me read Colossians 1 to you again, 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now that's an amazing statement about the power, the supernatural power of preaching that happens in a church week by week by week. Number five, podcasts and online preaching are great. They're a great source of teaching, but they are an addendum An addendum to, not a replacement for the preaching on our own body of Christ. So, the church in the New Testament is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the eternal companion of Jesus. Jesus died for the church, gave his life for the church, that she might be holy without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, and be his companion for all eternity. What is the church? The church began on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, it'll end on the day of the rapture when Jesus comes and catches those who are alive to be with him in heaven. A finite number of people will be part of the body of Christ that will rule and reign with him for eternity. But then there's the church that's today, that is Christians who are in Africa and Asia and in the United States, all over the world. That's the church. But the emphasis in the New Testament is the local church. The book of Romans was written to a local church. The book of 1 Corinthians was written to a local church. The book of 2 Corinthians written to a local church. Ephesians written to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Local churches are the emphasis as the Bible talks the New Testament about the church. Jefferson Baptist Church is a local church. And so we're called the body of Christ. That means each of us are like a part of a physical body that illustrates the church. Some of you are noses. (laughs) You know, good-looking noses. Some of you are ears and some of you are hands and some of you are feet and some of you are kneecaps and some of you are livers. We, we have a spiritual gift that we use that causes the body to be healthy as it functions well. Now, a kneecap in another church doesn't do us any good. This this church that's the body that fits together and it's the preacher of the word in this church that causes you to grow, to become like Jesus And so you can listen to John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll and Andy Stanley and whoever you want on the radio or on podcasts, and it's great, but it's this church where the gifts function that edify one another, and it's the preaching that happens in this pulpit that will be most impactful in your life. Um, Did you know that you're a victim That is, if the preaching is good, you'll grow. If the preaching is poor, you won't. You can make up for it a little bit 
But the preaching that is in a local church, the quality of that preaching will dictate to a very high degree the level of growth and maturity and fruit bearing that happens in those that are in that church family. Some churches have great preaching. Some churches have awful preaching. And those who are in churches with great preaching grow and bear fruit. Those who are in churches with terrible preaching don't. And so you become a victim of the preacher, as it were. Ephesians 4.10, he who descended as Jesus, that is, he left heaven, came to this earth, and then he went, uh, he was buried for three days, is also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, to the building up of the body of Christ. He gave teaching pastors to local churches so that that church will grow until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body of the church, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, that would be each of you, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Number six, the power of the preaching to cause growth in those who listen is variable. Some churches the power is zero and others it's a hundred. Powerful church, a growing church, has great preaching. A wimpy church that's doing very little has poor preaching. I regularly now, one of my goals is to coach pastors. And so I've let that be known, and I get calls. And uh, a couple of months ago, I got a call from a pastor, and he said, my church has gone from 200 to 40. Can you help me figure out what the problem is? I can, I said. I said, right off the top of my head, I would guess that it's your preaching. Because that's almost always the reason why churches go from 200 to 40. Would you put, uh, have somebody record your sermon, put it on YouTube, and I'll watch it and we'll talk about it. And then I'll do some coaching in that area if I think that's the problem. And I uh, emailed him after watching it. I said, if yours was the only church in the town, if I lived there, I wouldn't go to your church. He says, that bad, huh? I said, it is. But I think we can make it better. If you would follow some of the rules, some of the principles I'd give you on what to do. Number seven, the number one factor in growing churches is the power of the preaching. Number one factor in growing churches is the power of the preaching. Nothing comes close to that one. People come to church to grow, to uh, discover God, to have their life changed. Uh, they don't come for the fellowship, for the potlucks. They don't come for the soft seats. They don't even come for the music. It's the life change experience that people come to church for, and that happens in the preaching. Number eight, the difference between very powerful preaching and very wimpy preaching is caused both by the preacher and the listener. 
So both the one preaching and the people listening have to do certain things for it to be powerful. Number nine, the more that a listener prays for the preacher, the more they will learn and grow from the preaching. So this is a double-edged sword. You pray for Pastor Mike, and he preaches better, and you hear better. The more you pray for the preacher, the more you get out of the preaching. The more it makes sense, the more it penetrates, the more it attaches itself, the more it motivates, the more it convicts. Your praying determines what you get. Your praying determines how well he preaches, how much God works, how much the Spirit speaks through him. The key to good preaching and good listening is prayer. That's why way back in 1989... I wanted to recruit a hundred people that would faithfully pray for me because I knew it would make a huge difference in their life and it would make a huge difference in mine. Colossians 4, 3, Paul speaking, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for me that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now that's the New Testament. That's a true statement. Number 10, the symbiotic nature of the body of Christ teaches that the preacher can't preach well if the body doesn't pray much. And the body won't grow if the preacher preaches poorly. And so it's a, my heart works, my brain works. My heart stops, my brain stops. If my brain stops, my heart stops. If my brain stops, my kidney quits working. If my kidneys quit working, so do my lungs quit working. It's all connected. And the preaching ministry of the church is the most symbiotic force in the church. You pray, preaching is good. Preaching is good, you grow. You grow, you pray. Preaching is good, and it goes together. You faithfully pray. The preaching is powerful. The preaching is powerful. You grow rapidly. You're pathetic and you're praying. You're lazy and you're praying. You're distracted and you're praying. You're too busy fishing to pray, and the preaching will be poor, and you won't grow. And you know what happens in churches where they don't grow and the preaching is poor? They, they roast the pastor for Sunday dinner. Lots of division, lots of criticism, all kinds of stuff happens that ought not to happen. And all of it can be solved by your commitment and your faithfulness to pray that God would work. So, cards are going to pass out in a minute. Do you know what I love to do? Mike's in Africa preaching at our seminary that we have there for as we plant churches to train pastors and he's going to get home this week I'd love to plop on his desk a whole stack of those cards uh, that on them are written I make a commitment to pray for Pastor Mike 15 minutes a month 10 minutes a week 5 minutes a day whatever and so when they pass you can put a prayer request on there now don't put a commitment to pray if you're not going to do it but you know what moves people to do something they haven't done is a commitment. 
You make the commitment to do it, and something powerful about that motivates you. And it will change your life, and it will change the life of our church. Uh, and God will work powerfully. So we got uh, great days ahead of us as a church. But it's going to rise and fall on what happens right up here each week. More so than anything else that happens. And nobody determines that as much as you do on the basis of your commitment to pray because God works when we pray. And the more we pray, the more he works. He works in your life and he works in Mike's life if we do it faithfully. So let's pray. The ushers will come pass the cards out. And if you'd like to make a commitment, put that on there. If you would, please, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the nature of preaching that it's supernatural. It's so, so very powerful. I pray that we would continue to be a church that prays for one another as we put prayer requests in the prayer letter. And Lord, each of us on our own personal private prayer time as husbands and wives would be faithful to pray in the days ahead for Pastor Mike, that his sermons would be amazing as you would work in him, through him, and the words that he speaks would be uh, living and active and sharp as a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and intentions of our heart, and we would grow as a result. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.